As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, 10 lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, 10 were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. There's a beautiful parallel between the reading from the Old Testament today from the Book of Kings and the reading from the Gospel, and it's you know, not a coincidence that we read them together. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want to bring out for us, make sure that we are seeing it in the text. So first, this reading from the Book of Kings about Naaman the Syrian, the, a little bit of a backstory. So it, the second reading starts off with, uh, and I don't know if you have the readings in front of you, but... Naaman went down and plunged into the Jordan seven times at the word of Elisha, the man of God. And then he, his flesh, he had leprosy and his flesh became like a child's again. The, some of the, the background of that though is that Naaman is a Syrian, so he's a for, foreigner. And actually he's a very powerful Syrian, he's the general of the Syrian army. And the way he ended up here at this river bathing is that he was told by one of his servants an Israelite slave girl that had been captured from Israel and was in his service told him about this uh, powerful wonder worker named Elisha that might be able to heal his leprosy. So it's a very powerful, he's not a Jew, he's a very powerful Syrian general who kind of has to humble himself and go seek out this prophet and ask him to, to work the great wonder of healing him. And we don't get to hear in this particular uh, the way the church cut up the reading, we don't get to hear my favorite part of the story, which is him finding this prophet, Elisha, and Elisha telling him, go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman is actually offended because he was, I guess he was expecting, you know, for some sort of spell to be cast on him or some strange ritual to be performed to be simply told by this man to go wash in the Jordan River. And his reaction is, we have better rivers where I come from. Right? And his servant told him, well, if he had told you to do something exotic, you would have done it. The fact that it's simple, why don't, why don't you just trust him and go wash? And he goes and washes, and then this is where the reading picks up. Went into the Jordan seven times, and his flesh became again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean of leprosy. And then Naaman returns, and for me, this is the biggest part of the story. The most important part is not just that at the word of Elisha, he washed in the river and was healed, but that he had a conversion. And he comes back and he kneels down before Elisha and he wants to give him a gift. And when Elisha won't accept the gift, he says, at least let me take some, some wagon loads of dirt from this place so that I can worship your God. Because from this day forward, I won't worship any other God. So uh, this man, Naaman, upon experiencing this healing, 
he recognizes the authority of God. He recognizes the power of God and he has a conversion. He wants to worship this God and he will worship no other. So this experience of healing, this gift that he receives, leads him to conversion, to gratitude and to the worship of God. Now, we I hopefully see some very similar, uh, some, some real parallels with the gospel here, some very similar elements, that Jesus encounters 10 lepers. Only Jesus doesn't have to send them to the river to bathe because Jesus has the power himself to heal. And he heals the 10 lepers and he tells them to go uh, show themselves to the priests because the priests were the ones that uh, declared lepers clean and therefore restored to the community. And only one of the lepers, and just as, just as Naaman was a Syrian, was a foreigner, the, the one leper that returns to give thanks to Jesus is a Samaritan, also a for, foreigner, not a Jew. But I think what we see here is that 10 men who were sick were healed. Only one had a conversion. Only one recognized in the gift of healing that he received the power and the authority of the giver. Only one, because he was healed, returned and worshiped, prostrated himself before the Lord and gave thanks. And to this one, Jesus says, right, did not, were not 10 healed and only one came back and gave thanks. Stand up and go, your faith has saved you. I'm not a biblical expert, but it seems to me that this statement, your faith has saved you, must refer to something more and something deeper than just the healing of leprosy. He'd already been healed of leprosy, but now he has a conversion and he, this conversion brings him gratitude. He's thankful and he comes back and he thanks God for this wonderful gift that he has been given. And then he's told, your faith has saved you. So with all that, uh, I, that kind of exposition, Actually, maybe it was too much exposition because I want to make a really simple point. I want to talk about gratitude and how for us as Christians, gratitude really ought to be, and I think it's not, I think it's not most of the time for us. Gratitude ought to be one of our primary dispositions in life. It ought to be one of the primary ways that we describe our relationship with God. It's really central. Think about it. Uh, what's the center of our life of worship as Christians is the Mass, the Eucharist, and I'm sure you've heard this at 100 Thanksgiving homilies, the Eucharist means Thanksgiving. So the very central act of worship that we do as a community, we call it by the name of Thanksgiving. And if you really listen even in uh, the words of consecration, the first thing that Jesus does at the Last Supper is he gives thanks and then says the blessing. Right, so there's this sense that we ought to be thankful to God for the gifts that we have. And one of the ways that we can foster this spirit of gratitude, which leads us to worship, right, is to actually, uh, the old saying, some, a few years ago, there's a thing, you know, when people say count your blessings, that's, that was always to me just a euphemism that, you know, it's one of those expressions people say. Um, it was only a few years ago that I actually stopped and thought about it and thought, you know, that's actually a pretty, that's pretty good spiritual advice. Uh, maybe not literally count in terms of needing to come up with a number, but uh, the exercise of sitting down and thinking about 
what good things do I have in my life that I would not want taken away from me? What good things do I have that I'm glad I have them, right? I'm glad that I have my vocation. I'm glad I'm here at St. Mary or St. Thomas the Apostle. I'm really glad I work at St. Mary's High School. I'm glad that I live with Father Steve. I'm glad that I have very good friends in my life. Right? There's all these things that I'm very, very thankful for, or that I, sorry, there's all these things that I'm really happy about. And from there, it's just a little step to say, well, these things uh, came from somewhere. And I can be thankful for them because I can actually look at the giver of the gift and tell him thank you. Uh, Chesterton says the, the, the test of all happiness is gratitude. Right? And there's nothing more frustrating in the world, he said, as a, when he was still an agnostic, than to be thankful and to have no one to thank. We have many things in our lives that we're thankful for, but we do have somebody to thank. We can thank the Lord who gave it to us. And if we, if we want to cultivate that spirit of gratitude, I would say that's where we start. Now, uh, a graduated level of gratitude, the, the level of the saints, is when we're thankful even for persecution and suffering and illness and the opportunity to be persecuted for the sake of his name, right? The saints are grateful even at that. But I think maybe we start with a more intermediate thankfulness and be thankful for the good things uh, that we have. And uh, as, we, as we develop that spirit of gratitude, I think we'll start to see something else happen. There is a spiritual sin that all of us struggle with at some point, many of us struggle deeply with, probably daily. And it's, I, you know, maybe we should preach about the spiritual sins more often because they're the ones that are really down deep and really hard to uproot, right? Some of the, some of the Ten Commandments stuff is actually, you know, it's it's fairly easy to deal with compared to the deep spiritual sins of pride and wrath and lust and envy, right? And envy is sadness at another's good. And it's a little bit deeper than even, it's one thing for me to want something for myself and to wish I had it, right? That would be covetousness. But envy is when I'm sad at another's good, when I resent the gifts that somebody else has, whether it be an ability, a talent, whether I resent their looks or resent their popularity or resent their money or resent their success, whatever it is. And it's not even so much that I just want more of that for myself as I don't want them to have it. And I'm offended that they have it. And it's, it's not the kind of thing we would normally tell people about ourselves, right? Because that's, that's, it's, it's a nasty thing. Just like pride is a nasty thing. It's a deeply spiritual sin, but it's something that we all experience sometimes, and some of us experience all the time. This sadness at another's good. And I think the remedy for this sin that so many of us struggle with, and that, that is rooted so down deep, well, part of the remedy is to ask the Lord, like the leper today, to heal us of that sin of envy. But it's also to, to turn our eyes towards the blessings God has given us. Right? When we're envious, when we're jealous, it's always because we are looking at what we don't have or what somebody else has and not what the Lord has given us. And that's such a, uh, it's such an ungrateful, if you think about it, it's such an ungrateful disposition. Imagine you give you know, good gifts to your children uh, and you, let's say you put a lot of thought into what you gave them and you chose really personal gifts for each of them. And then having received those gifts, maybe on Christmas morning, all they can do is be bitter about what their brother got that they didn't. You'd be like, What's, what gives, you know? Uh, I've given you good things. And so we really want to cultivate that attitude of, oh, 
I was going to say attitude of gratitude, but that sounds cheesy. We, we want to cultivate that thankfulness. And I think the starting point is to become consciously aware of the fact that our life is actually full of good things that I would not want taken from me. Right? That, that even if I maybe am envious of other people's talents, that I have talents that I don't want taken away. And from there, it's a small step to saying, you know what? I received those things from God and I want to give him thanks. And that leads us to deeper conversion. It leads us to a greater love for the Lord, a greater sense of our dependency on it. It leads us to worship uh, and it heals also some of our spiritual sins.